0: Here I was having been in general management and organizational leadership roles. I think my team before that was about 400 and about a billion in revenue. And I had been at similar scale for the five years leading up to that. I said, I wanna go back into the field. I'm about to have twins. I'm in my forties, still not getting more than that. And I don't know how my life is gonna change. And I don't know that I can give to a large team of hundreds or thousands of people what they might need from me right now, because the three most important people in my life, my husband and my future kids, are going to need something from me, and I don't know what that is. But I know what I could do really well.
1: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Eric Stein. Eric is the Chief Revenue Officer at Skillsoft. And this is one of these episodes where I had all these interesting topics lined up to talk about with Eric, including what does digital transformation mean for a seller and how to take digital transformation from a buzzword to a tangible journey for a salesperson And I wanted to get into the buying experience and how to leverage technology to enable the consumer to personalize and control that experience. As it turned out, we had a really fascinating conversation about, altogether different sales topics. You want to be sure to stick around and check this out. However, before you get to Eric, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And I want to remind you to check out my latest book, Sell Without Selling Out. It's a modern, human-centric framework for increasing your win rates and shortening decision cycles without reverting to the salesy behaviors that buyers hate. It's available everywhere you shop for books, online, and in stores. All right, let's jump into it with Eric. Eric, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Andy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled
1: to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. So uh, tell us a little bit about you and what you do.
0: Well, uh, I am in my 40s, which is about <laughs> as much as you're going to get out of me this early in the day. A couple of drinks in, I might give you more than that, but that's well, all you're getting. I think you're the, the
1: first day. guest who's ever led with their age, so that's interesting. <laughs>
0: well, it's only relevant in this context. I have uh, twins that will be six at uh-huh. the end of the month, Yes, the end of April, <clears throat> so that is it either keeps my energy level high or my anxiety level high, sometimes both.
1: well, so, yeah, I mean, that's apparent I think that's sort of a constant anxiety <laughs> different types of anxiety at different ages, so yes
0: Everything with twins is doubly intense.
1: So are they identical?
0: No, um, they're fraternal boy girl twins, and um you know, we've reached the age where, you know, one goes in one direction, the other goes in the other direction. So we're now very, very grateful that, you know, my husband and I thought about pulling the trigger on a third. Yeah, And for a variety of reasons, we decided not to. (laughs) One of them was you know, when you have twins up front, you can't have three without four, because twins are so tight, they're so close, that if you have a third, the third is left out unless they get a playmate.
1: Ah, interesting. And so
0: everybody who had twins early on advised us, if you're talking about three, you're really talking about four. four. And four felt like a deal breaker.
1: For Four's us. a lot. I mean, I'm the youngest of four, and... and uh Yeah, I don't know how how they did it. Yeah,
0: you know when you're that close to like the Partridge Family, unless somebody's backing up the bus with instruments to the house, we're not ready for it. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was one reason. Another was our age is our ages. Um, But my sister gave me some really salient advice because she has three. Okay, and. Her deal with uh my brother in law was she was two with an option on a third, he was three with an option on a fourth, so they kinda met in the middle yeah. at three. But every weekend they are all over the place because everybody's in a different direction on a different thing.
1: Oh, especially with sports teams, if they got yeah, you know, different traveling soccer teams, for instance, as as we experienced just with two where yeah, they could be playing ninety minutes apart uh on a Saturday you know i
0: started i started my career in erp software and so my background is in complex logistics but my sister used to say to me unless you have some software that can figure out how to get three kids to three different places with two parents two cars right all at the same time like that's the software you really need to solve yeah. for that yeah it'll make you a billionaire oh
1: i just love the story it's is uh my ex wife with with our kids when they were really young, probably both of them were like three and under, and uh, we were getting out of a car we were I remember we were in Oakland, California, and visiting some friends and we had stopped to go shopping somewhere and and this beat cop walks by, and this is guy like is out of the movies like you know <laughs> patrick O'Brien, irish brogue and and he looks he's I mean we're starting of struggling with the car seats out and so on. He's saying, yep. Yeah. He says, you know, having he, said, well, he asked us, we were, you know, thinking about a third child. I said, no, <laughs> two, two seems sufficient. You know, look, we're struggling here. He says, that's good, because yeah, having three is like having 20. He says, if you can master, you can master three, you're good cool. to go as many as you want. So, anyway. So, <clears throat> yeah.
0: So, I've got two kids, boy-girl twins. They'll be six at the end of the month. Congratulations. Uh, I have an eight and a half year old dog. Ah. he's nine pounds of terror. Yeah. Um he's like much on my mind today because he's having surgery tomorrow. Oh.
1: Yeah. Hope he's gonna be okay?
0: I think so. All right. Um yeah, but you know, man's best friend, true. Yeah, know?
1: just was reading about the cost of pet insurance over the weekend in the Wall Street Journal.
0: My dog has better health insurance than I do. <laughs> <laughs> It's worth every penny. <laughs> and I live in suburban Connecticut, just outside New York City, which mm-hmm. is where I grew up. New York, mm-hmm. New York. town so nice they name it twice. Mm-hmm. I love New York City. I love to travel. Um, I have been fortunate that my 20-plus year career has taken me to some of the most amazing places in the world and some really unexpected places that I have come to really love, like western Nebraska and Central Mississippi. And places just that I never thought
1: I would see. No, interesting. So western Nebraska, because yeah, my take on western Nebraska having driven on the interstate across it several times is not a lot there. Nope. I mean I
0: have been all the way from Omaha in the east yeah. out to the Sand Hills, Ogallala, yeah out in western Nebraska. I've driven across the state numerous times. Um, I have been fortunate enough to do uh, work with some of uh, Nebraska's great lieutenant governors and governors and work at the Unicam. And I have nothing but really happy memories of my time in Lincoln. I worked with the university. I have eaten at what I think is the only Indian restaurant for a 1,000 miles in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, But, uh, yeah, I've just been to some really unexpected places.
1: Yeah, well, that's sort of the, you know, for people who think that we can do everything virtually, which to a degree we can. But I think you would say that, then probably agree that there are things you do miss not being there in person. You do. And as I have started traveling again and
0: my travel schedule now is very much like it was three years ago. I mean, my calendar, if you were to look at my calendar, you would think it's 2019 all over again in the now uh, nine months that I have been in in this role. Um, I've been to Europe three times. I've been three times in the last six months. Mm -hmm. I have been out of the country, I think, seven times. In the past six months and traveled extensively across the U.S. Uh, I love it. Um, It brings a huge smile to my face. My last international trip before the pandemic, I traveled 39 hours round trip to spend 52 hours in Sydney, Australia, which was such a gift. I had the greatest experience. And I'm one of those people who's. So I'm really disciplined. I am up at 5.30 in the morning wherever I am in the world. I wake up naturally. Mm -hmm. Um, Regardless of the time change and the time difference, I am up at 5.30 in the morning anywhere in the world except Asia and Australia when I'm up at 3.45 and just up and ready to go. So I have run through the streets of South Korea at 4 o'clock in the morning. I have taken the first fast ferry from Sydney to Manly at Circular Mm -hmm. pay seen the sun come up over the harbor bridge. Uh, I've gone running through the wildlife park past the koala and the kangaroo. And (laughs) I just feel really grateful to have this incredible career that takes me to all of these amazing people, uh, all these amazing places and experiencing all these people and all these cultures. I just feel really lucky for it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've similar, you know, sold on every continent, but Antarctica, um
0: penguins yeah. don't buy much software.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um ran through Sydney, the streets of Sydney. It was dark. I used to have a favorite. I used to be spent a lot of time in Sydney and and uh I, one time I was running through the Royal Botanical Gardens, uh that's over adjacent to the, the opera house. And <laughs> coming around this corner, and it's early morning, it's like you know, it was, could have been before six o'clock. It was just starting to get light, and there's this huge flock of these, I think, large white parrots <laughs> standing on the ground. Had to have been dozens of them, and I come around this corner, and I sort of stop, because they're all across the running trail and the grass, and they all turn and look at me at the same time, and I'm like, uh, okay, do I keep on going, or do I go, turn and go back? <laughs> Which I did. I have no idea. But uh, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's... So are you finding... I mean, travel just... Yeah, I've had experiences. I said all these different places that I would never possibly have had before. Met so incredibly interesting people and people doing different things with their lives, but you know, sort of aspiring for the same things we're all aspiring for. Are you finding now that that customers want people to come back and visit them? It depends.
0: <clears throat> um, it definitely depends, but for the most part, yes. Many of our customers want that engagement, want to tell us about how things have changed. And in more cases, how things are still changing or uncertain or unsettled. They want to hear stories. What are other folks doing? How are we thinking about this problem? And I think we're going to be in for a fairly long period of transition. I feel like next is thinking about what next looks like. Mm -hmm. And so we're very much in sort of this hybrid 2.0 space where everything has a feeling of uncertainty about it. And yet it's happening sort of again and again every day. And so it's sort of becoming what it is. Is simply by its permanence. It's almost like this state of uncertainty that has a permanence to it just because of the passage Mm -hmm. of time. And folks are now starting to realize okay, if this is what this is like, what could we be doing about it? What should we be doing about it? And what's so exciting are the organizations that have simply just put a stake in the ground and made a decision. In some cases, for good. And in some cases, it's not exactly working out. And they're being forced. To rethink it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think that was is what was so great about the pandemic to begin with. Folks were forced to cope with a certain set of limitations that forced them to change everything about their decision making protocol and how they did business. And it opened up the floodgates of decentralized decision making and creative solutions and testing out what worked. And I think, if anything, sort of over the past year or so, everybody's gotten a little bit stale, and right. now we're in this whole new age of people trying new things, right? Again, and figuring out what's working. It's bringing a lot of energy back for them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I like that, I, and I agree. I mean, I think that that there's been a tendency in the last year or two to say the way that it's changed. And we'll just take sales and sales show is that. Yeah, they want to sort of resort to blanket statements. Buyers don't want to talk to salespeople or they don't want to see salespeople. It's like, well, that's not true. Right? As, as There's a reason buyers want to talk to salespeople, it's to help them think differently about their problems in a way that, you know, that they internally their group think sort of prevents them from doing. They want these additional insights uh, to help them make a better decision. Um,
0: so I'm going to let you in on one of my long-held secrets. Sure. Please. And I it know it's the just jeweler. you and me, so it's not like thousands right. of people might hear this. Right, but I'm right. willing to take that risk. Yeah. Right? Buyers are people, it turns out. <laughs> Shocking. And, wait, it's going to blow your mind now. <laughs> yeah. So are salespeople. Right. And it's funny because humans have this unquenchable desire for new information. Mm -hmm. And so if if you show up with something of substance to say, if you are empathetic about solving a problem, and if you've developed a relationship rooted in trust, people are going to show up to see you. Mm -hmm. They're going to get on Zoom, even though they really haven't done their hair. which for me is never a problem because nobody can see me, but without any hair, it's always done.
1: Right. Um, certain advantages,
0: you know, if you've got something to say, if you care about helping solve a problem and if they know they can rely on you to tell the truth, to say, I don't know when you don't know to get the answer. Um, They're going to show up. And so the conversations that I've had the last nine months, the ones that people are, you know, before the workplace even open, willing to meet for coffee or lunch or in a park outside for the ones who want to see you when you come to town are the ones where it's really imperative that you show up with something to tell them. What Mm -hmm. should they be doing? What are their peers doing? What is working? Out there, how are folks managing to evolve past this moment in time with the acceptance that whatever they do may be preliminary, temporary, may change again, may not work out? And how do we build culture and community and trust in the workplace when we're bringing people back to something that may feel Uncertain. Right. Even if, as we discussed before, it starts to become permanent or semi permanent just because it's what we end up doing every day for right. a period of time.
1: Let's talk about that specifically with your business. So tell us a little bit about your company and how the pandemic affected you and sort of what you see going forward. Sure.
0: Um, so uh, my company, Skillsoft, where I am fortunate enough to lead our global field organization, sales, customer success, professional services, our pre-sales and go-to-market teams, business operations. Um, We are one of the world's leading providers of professional digital learning. And the pandemic was a really interesting journey for us because a great deal of what we do We do remotely at scale. Mm -hmm. We provide learning solutions that deliver skills or reskill and upskill existing employees into the roles of the future. We are really a strategic workforce planning company that partners with organizations to understand where's your workforce today where do you need your workforce to be? And how can you help the people that you have get there? Mm-hmm. Or how can you provide the skills to people coming in the door for them to be successful in the roles that you need them to right. be? That has been incredibly transformative over the last couple of years. One out of three skills that was required for a job in 2018 is no longer required for that job. Well, in just, give,
1: us an, give us an example. Let's say in the
0: sales world. Uh, More important than anything else have become uh, technology skills. Mm -hmm. Um, And it has been particularly accelerated by the pandemic. As more and more companies underwent or accelerated a digital transformation where technology went from being either a route to market or an enabler of their route to market, all of a sudden, digital became the only way you could do business. And so more and more technology skills and technology workers are chief amongst the skills our customers are looking for. I was speaking with one of our customers um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> two weeks ago, a uh, large financial services organization, um, nearly 100,000 employees, mm-hmm. and almost 10% of their roles are currently open, either for internal reskilling or hiring from the outside. Of the roles that they are hiring from the outside, more than 75% of them require technology skills. And part of what we shared with them were many other of our customers in the same industry with the same drivers have set up reskilling academies in partnership with us to Look at individuals based on the role that they are currently in Mm -hmm. and the skills that are recorded and maintained either by management observation or by completion of certification work, as well as the use of assessment technology. And we give you a picture of where each employee is starting from, right? Based on their role, their observed skills and their assessment, where is this individual starting? And based on where they are starting, What roles that you need filled in your organization might they be suitable for with a certain amount of reskilling? And for each one of those options, what's the reskilling path for them? We blend asynchronous self-study, a fancy way of saying online learning, with live instruction, which is delivered digitally, just like you and I are talking now. We deliver thousands of courses online with a live instructor including uh, applied and practical knowledge labs, Mm -hmm. uh, what are commonly called practice labs or challenge labs. And we also have a platform that delivers executive coaching at scale. And so what we're doing is we are bringing together leadership skills and power skills. We are bringing together practical and applied knowledge that can be taught in a classroom or managed through project work with a cohort working together and self-study into these academies that our customers use to develop talent at scale. That could be for a large class of people coming into a large systems integrator. Mm-hmm. That could be for a community of uh, employees at a big bank or a government uh, agency. That could be uh, as part of the growth of an industrial manufacturer or a healthcare company or a life sciences company where there are certain underlying scientific skills that can now be augmented through the use of new technology. And so with companies and you asked for an example, so I'll circle back and end with this Um, much like this shift has been caused by the pandemic. I go very, very practical with a company like Rico that Mm -hmm. was primarily a, printing and office services company that has now become a digital services company. And the partnership that we developed with them uh, throughout Europe that they are now replicating across Asia to reskill hundreds and hundreds of workers who used to work on printers and office buildings that can now work on information technology, software, um, physical infrastructure as a result of these reskilling academies that they've put
1: together. So, among your your client base, is so what are you sort of seeing in terms of the priorities for reskilling their sales teams?
0: Uh, it's a great question. A lot of folks are struggling with how the shift in business model shows up as enablement for their sales and success organizations. Because mm-hmm. if the offering changes, then the sales organization needs to change as a right. result. It's actually something I'm going through right now. My With own company. Team. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, Skillsoft had our um, learning platform, and then we acquired and integrated during the pandemic a company called Global Knowledge, which provided the instructor-led training. We acquired a company called Pluma, and they bring the executive coaching and the coaching platform mm-hmm. to us. And this week, we're completing the acquisition of a company called Codecademy, which was announced Mm -hmm. back in where we intend to complete, I should say, um, the acquisition of Codecademy, which was uh, announced back in December and depth of competence in 18 different programming. Mm Mm-hmm languages. And so I have this enormous organization of people who sold a specific thing. You sold the content catalog, you sold virtual instructor-led training, you sold executive coaching at scale. But these things have now been brought together and disaggregated into academies and offerings that pull various elements of each of them into a complete solution. Mm -hmm. And so The evolution that I'm undergoing with my team is a team of people who were very, very familiar with how to differentiate the offering that we had and are now evolving into solution experts who can assemble the solution that solves the customer's problem. And so, this blend of professional services and instructor led trading and coaching and mentoring and all of this content now come together in a completely different way and it changes the job that the team has to do it changes what we hold our sales teams and our success teams accountable
1: yeah because you based on that scenario they suddenly become much more or the demand seems to be to become much more consultative yes. because hey i'm coming to you not because you have a specific need but we want to explore what the potential needs and requirements could be, and it could be one of a spectrum of, of things that we provide. Or That's a mix, right. A mix of those, let's say. And we've had to completely rethink our
0: approach to enablement as a result. Just brought in a new global head of enablement. She's wonderful. But we realized over the past several months as we were putting together our new go-to-market and our new strategy that we needed to really rethink our fundamental philosophy and methodology Mm -hmm. for sales and success. And so we elevated some internal leaders who were bright and creative and had really strong operational competence. We brought in some new voices from the outside who had done this before. We brought in some third parties to help us. But our whole approach has been to rethink the experience of our customers and reverse engineering it. What now that we have these assets that deliver right. a new offering? What is the customer experience we need to create, and how do we reverse engineer what needs to be done from an enablement perspective to produce that?
1: Right. I mean, you really when you talk about customer experience, you're really talking about the buying experience, right? So that's right. Yeah. So which yeah I love this. and so how do you or how have you in the past sort of assessed what that buying experience is with you
0: the most important thing is to ask your customers they will tell you use scale technologies i'm a huge fan of qualtrics again because Mm -hmm. i had been chief revenue officer over there but we do use qualtrics to establish customer nps and learner nps we really want to understand what is the reaction to this course what is the reaction to the overall experience of working With us, And so we measure NPS both at the learner level and at the customer level. We use third parties to do win-loss analyses on why we win or lose an opportunity. But I I really go back to where we started a few minutes ago, Andy, when I talk about the customer will meet with you if you have something of substance to bring them, if you have uh, an empathetic approach to wanting to solve their problem as if it were your own. And if you have a relationship built in trust, I spent 45 minutes this morning on the phone with one of Europe's largest banks getting feedback on how our team performed in one of the last engagements. Mm -hmm. They were candid about what we did well. They were candid about where the opportunity was for us to improve. They shared with us their concerns about their own organization and it was just a fantastic conversation about communicating well and managing expectations. And then we agreed on a series of next steps that would allow us to take the feedback that we heard and put it into action. And also allowed us to properly set expectations with them of what we needed from them to make that successful. Mm-hmm. And I find that having conversations like that at least once a week, but listening goes a long way.
1: Yeah, I just, I just want to dig deeper on one thing is, is because um, yeah, oftentimes I'll talk to sales leaders and they'll be talking about hiring and the requirements that they need and their sellers and so on. And, and I'll ask them, well, you know, how would you come up with this, this description of the job? And it's always them projecting what they think the job is as opposed to. I said, well, have you ever asked your buyers, what do they need from your salespeople? What do they need to be to help them get the job of making a decision done? And the answer is no, we've never asked. <laughs> so That's so
0: anathema to me because we ask that question all the time. I asked it this morning. I want to hear the answer to it because especially now, Andy, when almost every company's offering has changed in some material mm-hmm. respect and every customer's company has changed in almost every material respect, either their product, their offering their workplace strategy, their um, employee base. We should always be asking the question, what do you need from us? What are your expectations? How do we need to show up?
1: Right. Yeah. And you don't hear enough companies doing that. I mean, it's, it's again, if I hear one more company say, look, we need to hire a hunter. Or a closer, and I'm like, well, so your buyer wants you to have a closer. How does that help them? (laughs) And it's like,
0: it doesn't.
1: It's like, yeah. What are you talking about, sir? What their 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 looks as their blank looks as, like, yeah. So what does the buyer need your salesperson to be?
0: You know, one of the best jobs I ever had was right when the twins were born. I had been on. I don't know, it was my third large organization in a row. (laughs) And, um, I had just been through a, um, I had just done a really big restructure and I was a little emotionally replete. Mm -hmm. And I was about two months away from the twins being born, and I went to the president of the division. I said, I have this idea I want to pitch you, and I think it would be really valuable to you and really helpful to me. And I pitched her on this concept of almost like an executive in residence Structure. Mm-hmm. I was like an executive level salesperson. Mm-hmm. Here I was having been in general management and organizational leadership roles. I think my team before that was about 400 and about a billion in revenue. And I had been at similar scale for the <clears throat> five years leading up right. to that. I said, I want to go back into the field. I'm about to have twins. I'm in my 40s. Still not getting more than that. (laughs) And I don't know how my life is going to change. Right. And I don't know that I can give to a large team of hundreds or thousands of people what they might need from me right now. Because the three most important people in my life, my husband and my future kids, are going to need something from me. And I don't know what that is. Fair. But... I know what I could do really well. And what I pitched her on was this idea of an executive level salesperson that worked with the captains of each industry. We are fortunate enough to have a very, very large customer base. Mm -hmm. A lot of the world's largest um, brands were customers or target prospects. I said... I want to go work with their executives. I want you to put me in any place where you've got a relationship with the CEO or the CFO or the CHRO or the CIO, whoever it is, and you would spend 20 percent of your time there if you had 20 percent of your time to right. spend with one customer, and I really want to understand how should we be showing up mm-hmm. differently. And I spent two and a half years working with Nike, Boeing. Microsoft, Hyundai, uh, Edison International. I worked with some of the greatest companies, PepsiCo, Verizon. I got to work with the executive teams of some of the greatest companies in the world. And I learned how we needed to show up as a company. And And I did it by industry. It mm-hmm. just evolved that way. It wasn't Right. Uh, it was organic. It wasn't sent out like that, but we basically did it for one customer in the industry, like Edison, and then we repeated it for another one, like Centerpoint. And in every case, we learned, we refined, we tuned it, but it worked. And that became the template for my next job, which was running the North America Go-To-Market at SAP, because I had that practical on the ground. hmm Experience. I love my job. I have an incredible leadership team. I got to handpick each and every one of them from those that I inherited to those that I brought in from the outside. I have a thousand incredible people on my team who are passionate and engaged and really care about solving our customers' problems. Um, but those two and a half years that I got to spend directly in front of the customer changed me as an executive. Because I not only got to see the role of the salesperson through the eyes of the customer executive and what they wanted and needed mm-hmm. from us, but I also got to see the role of the sales executive on the ground. I got right. to see what my people needed to do every day and how different it was from their current job. And I, I also got an education in what they were going to need me. And so it was a really profound experience, not just as a leader, but as a sales professional to understand what my customer, the salesperson who works for me, what they need and what their customer needs from them.
1: And what were the big needs that perhaps were different than what you had thought?
0: I'm going to bring it back to where I started. Substance, you have to show up knowing something. You have to have a different point of view, not just on what your product or service or solution or offering does. You have to have a point of view Mm -hmm. on why it matters, not just why it's different. It's not just about being differentiated. Mm -hmm. You need to understand why it matters. And that's a question of context, which leads to the next piece, which is about empathy, right? You have to care enough about solving the problem in front of you that you really need to listen and understand what is the problem the customer is trying to solve? Why is it so important that they solve it? What's the impact if they don't? Or what's the impact Mm -hmm. of solving it partially or incorrectly? Right. And you have to be able to work your organization with enough network efficiency to solve it in the right way and explain it to the customer. And so substance and empathy are... Inseparable,
2: mm-hmm. And then
0: the last is trust. I would not be able to lead this organization if the team didn't trust me and the leadership team to make the right decisions and do the right thing. Right. And now more than ever, that means transparent communication, being right. honest with people about what's going on and why it's happening, because we we lack the water cooler in most cases. We're not back or we're partially back or we're hybrid back or we're back Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But you come in on Wednesday and I come in. on. You have to be able to build community. And there is a very clear reason why the word community and the word communication share a common root word Mm -hmm. uh, because they are rooted in our ability to listen to each other. um, And that means that you have to build a foundation of trust. Um, that more than anything else is what our customers need from us, and what our sales teams and our success teams and our enablement teams and our pre-sales teams and our services teams need from us as leaders. They need us to listen to them, and they need to know that they've been heard, even when their feedback is critical. Right. Even when they need something other than we might be willing to give them, we. Owe them the responsibility of explaining why what they're getting is different. Yes, I've heard you, but the answer is no, because. Mm -hmm. And customers and sales teams both receive that in the same way. Yep. Right? I'm more willing to accept the answer no, we can't. What I'm offering you is different, better, Mm -hmm. or addresses your need as long as we explain the because.
1: Right. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, because I mean the the and I bring this up in my new book as well, is, is yeah, the motion you sort of do with the customer, external customers as a sales leader is very similar to the motion you go through with your people that work for you. Right? <laughs> I mean it's it's why well, I sort of always sort of I don't know muse maybe is the wrong word, but when I see sales leaders that that uh you know, preach how we're supposed to be dealing with customers and they could be served on the right track. And then you think, yeah, but it's, it's orthogonal to what you're doing with your sellers. And you yes. wonder why there's this disconnect.
0: And the two should really be the same. They should be. They're right? rooted in the same principles.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think if your job is, as I write about in my book, is if your job is, <clears throat> as a seller is not to be persuasion driven, but to listen to your buyers, understand what are the most important things to them, and then help them get that. That's your job as a manager as well. right? Listen to your people. Understand what the most important things are them that they want to achieve, the challenges they have, the outcomes they want to achieve. and help them get that. And if you do that, odds are you're going to have somebody that will develop into yeah, a successful person.
0: I'll tell you a quick story because um, it's very evocative of the way I see my role. Um, my son is very bright and Both my parents were educators. Mm -hmm. It's part of the reason I have a passion for learning and technology that drives learning into the workforce experience in a meaningful way. And my dad, ever the teacher, as a gift for my son, got him a subscription to a series that's produced by Highlights Magazine. Mm -hmm. Remember Highlights? Oh, yeah. Uh, Reading in the the dentist
1: office, yes, yeah.
0: And uh, they have this series that goes all around the world, and my kid is obsessed with other countries and maps. He has to be the only six-year-old that knows the name of like 180 countries and can recognize their flag, which is just insane, especially since like – the map has more countries on it now than it did when you and I grow, oh, grew yeah, up because we were so culturally insensitive right. to, and, and it, it, it literally amazes me. And so this series goes around the world to a different country every month, and there's a mystery that the kid has to solve. Who did it? Mm-hmm. What did they steal? It's almost always a theft, and where is it hidden? And there are like 15 different puzzles. It's a process of elimination. You get six choices of villains and six locations and six items. And you have to eliminate one in each round until you get to the one that's Mm -hmm. left. So 15 puzzles a month. And my kid blows through it in two or three days. But we found out after the first or second, right? He was so impatient. He was so excited about getting to the answer that he's looking at the answers in the back of the book. So now when it comes...
1: (laughs) You you tear that out.
0: I tear him out. (laughs) I I cut him out. I put him in an envelope. I hide right from him. So that he has to do the puzzles. But his skill level is variable depending on the puzzle. Um, And he sort of needs to know someone is watching. So we do it together. Um, But my approach to it is very, very much my approach to selling and my approach to leading
2: mm-hmm. which
0: is i'm not going to give you the answer right. my job as a problem solver is to give you the tools that you need at your level of scale and capacity to solve the problem right and so for my kid that means sitting with him and making sure he knows how to interpret the information and so if the game comes with a guidebook that says you know Um, it asks a question and tells you the answer can be found or in, if you read this section, Mm -hmm. then I sit there and I make him read the section. And if he doesn't get it, then I say, okay, read it out loud right now, but I won't do the work for him. And I think all of us as leaders and all of us have sellers just need to remember that we enable problem solving at scale. We have to care about the customer's ability to solve the problem, but the relationship is really about giving them the right tools to solving, to solve the problem and to not necessarily solve it for them because otherwise then you've got the wrong accountability structure in the relationship. If I've done my job, I've given you all the right tools to efficiently and effectively solve the problem and get the best result without solving it for you.
1: I agree. Great answer. Thank you. So unfortunately we've run out of time, but, um, yeah, really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that?
0: Uh, always, always, always on LinkedIn. Um, I love it. I love it as a platform. And my contact information is in there. So you can always reach me either by engaging with me on LinkedIn, sending me a private message, or emailing me the uh, the emails available in my contact file.
1: Perfect. Eric, thank you so much. Andy,
0: thank you for having me. I enjoyed it thoroughly.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Have a great day. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Eric Stein, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.